Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to uh, our podcast, The Hope Interrupted, the podcast. I'm Byron McCauley, your co-host with Jennifer Mooney. And if you like that music that you just heard, that music is produced by my godson, none other than, I'm not going to tell you his name. I'm just going to tell you his the, the name that he um his stage name is Starscream the Giant. And you can find him on Instagram, Starscream the Giant. And you can also find him um, on Instagram at Starscream the Music. So he put that beat together for us. Jennifer, did you like that? I love our music. I love that we're kind of coming up in the world and now have professional intro and outro music. And yeah. And uh, yes, I'm I'm grateful for his talent for sure. Thank you, thank you. He's a talented young man. He he went to Johns Hopkins to do something totally different than he's doing. And boy, am I I'm proud of him. I remember when he was the size of a football. No, he's not. <laughs> so welcome again. We have a fun filled um, power pack show today, and uh, the guest is just a tremendous man. And I'm so honored that we're going to be able to talk to him. But first, Jennifer, I know you've got some housekeeping because our book is about to come out, which is really exciting. We are basically T minus two weeks. Wow. And I hear the Winnie the puppy of Byron's house. That is the Macaulay new dog. Yeah, that's Winnie. <laughs> she is uh, almost six months old. She is about 40 pounds. She's about four feet tall. And she's got a really robust la- uh, bark. So well, this the is the time that she gets active because of people walking on the sidewalks. The pets are in charge. But I, uh, I, I'm excited. Um, we're also we're ready to get the book out into the world after lots of work on it. Uh, hope interrupted. We, we always talk about the hopeful moment at the end of the show. We'll do it again today. But uh, hope has been interrupted. But luckily, we're in a world where there's some better news coming along. So that's all good. Uh, again, if you want to pre-order our book, we're in the final stage of pre-orders, www.hopeinterrupted.com, signed by both Byron and me. 
we happen to be in the same geographic location for the next few weeks. Well, Finally. all the way out there in New Mexico. I am just across town in Cincinnati from Byron right now where we first met. So we'll sign those books and, and get them out there. And then it'll be available at booksellers and on Amazon. So with that, I'm going to turn it back over to my good friend and co-host Byron McCauley. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for that wonderful plug. Let's get right to it because this guest is someone who agreed and I was so thankful that he agreed to come on this show weeks ago. He's a very busy man. I think he's in Arizona right now at a conference. His name is Dr. Alvin C. Jones, MD. And I've known Alvin now. We're just talking before the show started. I thought it was three years, but Alvin said it was about five years. My gosh. Alvin is an orthopedic surgeon for children at um, in Dayton, Ohio, and um, he specializes in treating spinal deformities in children and adolescents. But he also treats children uh, and adolescents with hip disorders, fractures, and sports injuries. And we know we have a lot of those around here. So I'm so thankful that that he came to join us tonight. Alvin, welcome to the program. Thank you, Byron. Thank you. Glad to be here. And congratulations on the new book coming out. Thank I'm you doing so well. much. Doing well. Good. Yes. Good. Um, Alvin, I know you and I have talked so many times just about life issues and you know the things that that we're sort of going through in this country right now and have been going through in this country. And um, you sort of went outside of your normal um, occupation yourself and you started doing some different things prompted by some of the things that were happening in the country. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So, you know, I was like many, I think, look like me in this country, uh, very emotionally affected by a lot of the images I was seeing last year um, when it came to uh, people dying, you know, at the hands of, you know, police violence. And it was a, it was a point in our country where we were all basically at home or, you know, we, we weren't able to be distracted. So it, it, it kind of had our undivided attention. And so, you know, it wasn't just one image. It was like time after time after time again, it seemed like we just saw these images replaying, um, you know, from one to the next, you know, Maude Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and then, you know, the most egregious one being, you know, George Floyd. And I couldn't, and I still, to this day, I haven't been able to watch that whole video. I've seen enough of it that I'm just like, this is something I just couldn't, couldn't do. Um, but through all of that, you know, I was really a little baffled by the fact that I really didn't hear the voice of our church, you know, being a Christian. And I'm not saying our church personally, you know, like the church that, uh, you know, I go to, but I'm talking about the church um, as like the bigger institution, like the body of Christ. I wasn't faith hearing community. our voice. Right. The community. The faith exactly, community. Of, of, of faith. And I wasn't hearing... I would, I would, I do want to interrupt you before you go on because you talked about people who look like you, but 
uh, our listeners are not seeing that 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 you do to me. You appear to be an African American man. Is that correct? Correct. I am African American. I was born in Washington D.C. Grew up on the East Coast, and uh, so um, kind of native born uh, Black American. And gotcha. so I kind of grew up in this system, you know. And so, and I think that actually is important too because. Um, you know, as I've gone through this journey since um, seeing all those images last year, I've kind of seen how this is a uniquely um, different way of growing up than some other Black people who look like us, who may be in a different country, um, uh, just because of the, uh, the system that the U.S. has created for us. Um, and, and it's it's it is very interesting. Um, and so, yes, I'm a, I'm a black American and I didn't hear the voice of our faith community talking about uh, this racial, the racial injustices going on. And to me, that was very perplexing and um, even disheartening. You know, I kind of felt let down. Um, and so I, I really struggled with that. And, you know, I even went to um, our pastor at our church and talked about it and, um, you know, still wasn't quite the the reassurance or the uh, support that I was hoping for, uh, but he did lead me into a community um, that was helpful. He kept referring me to uh, one of his buddies that he serves on a board of a national a, a nonprofit with. Uh, his his friend is uh, Chuck Mingo. Uh, he was the former pastor of Crossroads here in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, and. Um, when I actually reached out to Chuck, Chuck told me uh, what he had started um, along with one of his friends, Troy Jackson, who is actually a white American. Troy is a black American. Troy, sorry, Chuck is a black American. Troy is a white American. And they both co-founded an organization called Undivided. And they have different branches of it. Um, one is for the organizations such as churches and then the other one is more for the corporate world uh, so they have the living undivided more for the uh, organizations like churches or community organizations and then the working undivided but when i talked with chuck he kind of told me that he kind of had his same moment um where he also felt like he wasn't seeing uh, the community of faith take on or champion the um, this program or this um, um, uh, cause. And so he went to his pastor at the time, and this was, I think, in 2014. Um, um, I, I think it was after like the Trayvon Martin in, uh, incident, um, but it was a lot earlier. Um, and so he created Undivided, and it was for community of believers to come together and actually try to tackle these racial issues. Um, and he approached it with a, a, um, with a model of bringing to, together um, people in an environment that helps them recognize their shared humanity and also have empathy and learn through each other's experiences. Um, because a lot of times, and, and, and it actually it's become a six-week program, and uh, what we found is that a lot of the you know, diversity initiatives, diversity training things, uh, typically uh, typically are one-offs. 
and you know they typically um, revolve around facts and you know letting people know kind of what happened here and there um, but it still doesn't an understanding um, that you get when you're there with a group of people you know they may be right in front of you side by side and they're telling you their story and you see that person who's right in front of you as a human being they are not some statistic some number um, they are actually and a lot of times these are people either work with you or they go to your church so you already have known them in that humanized role so it's an even even bigger um, impression on you the person when you hear these stories so um he's that and 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 i actually got the opportunity to go through that experience last fall and was so rejuvenated and um, refreshed by what I was seeing, a body of believers who actually had that same uh, mentality and passion for this cause as I did. And so I ended up um, volunteering, actually not volunteering, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Did, did you have a question, Jennifer? I was, and I was going to ask you something too, doctor, because, um, sorry, I was, uh, I was, no, 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 it's all good. It's all good. But it tracks a lot with some thinking Byron and I have, and we're not experts. Um, we are communication experts. We are well-educated people, but when we set out to write together, we were friends and we had this concept that if people could get to know each other like we did by writing together and asking the hard questions and having an honest dialogue, it sounds pretty simple, but the simple bridges between individuals could really start to and move to change society. And we had one editor say to us, well, you're not gonna start a national writing letter writing campaign and we kind of said, well, why not? Why not? <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's um, and what I've wondered about is, it seems like one small step, but in your learnings, I've wondered if they also go into, you know, if you just do this on a one-on-one -on -one basis, do they feel like you're doing, like we're doing, if you feel that can move out and, and really impact the greater good of society. So I'm yeah, curious. That, that, so that is um, the beauty. Yeah, uh, you know, I think that is the beauty of the, the program. It, you know, it, it started off, you know, very locally and um, I am now participating with them as a facilitator and I do um, help um, organizations go through this and, you know, I, I will facilitate a six week program. The, the, um, uh, organization undivided is now really trying to expand they've gone into a virtual platform. So it does make it very cohesive to doing this on a national scale. And, and um, they have done it so far. Uh, I know in churches in Texas, uh, Indiana, Ohio, and uh, I think also maybe Michigan and maybe Illinois. Um, and so they are still trying to branch out and, and continue to kind of spread this gospel. And uh, they really do believe that racial reconciliation does not 
happen unless we see racial justice as well. Um, and so I think um, one of the big parts of the program is not just doing the program, but actually changing somebody's trajectory. So once you go through the program, we are constantly encouraging you to consider what avenues you would like to take after this program that would actually help perpetuate that um, sense of change, of either social change, justice change, um, community initiatives um, that you can actually help further this cause. And so it, it is a pretty comprehensive program. And so we do, we, um, even before these groups start their programs or their, the cohorts start the actual um, facilitation, they're picking uh, social justice initiatives that they may want to encourage those participants to go into afterwards so that, that we're actually starting a, a, an action movement and not just educating people. I think one thing that's rough and is that none of this happens overnight. For some of us who've been involved in social justice and racial reconciliation, we say to ourselves, well, we've been at it for hundreds of years um, and here we are. Um, how do you offer guidance guidance on that because that i mean that is the real truth i mean there are quite a few not enough but there are a lot of a lot of us out there who you know it gets frustrating it seems so darn slow moving yes and i and i can completely relate to that i felt like i was in that spot back uh before i started the program it you know the whole the gravity of this problem just seemed so enormous like how do we even get started um, but I would tell, you know, anybody that what problem, you know, was ever solved by doing nothing. And that's, you know, that's kind of where I really start off with most people is just like, listen, um, we all have our own spheres of inf influence and we need to continue to take what we know and what we learn and actually start to um, affect that change in our own little spheres of influence. And so I take this now almost anywhere I go. Uh, whenever, whenever I'm talking to people, um, I kind of let people know, and, and I, and I'm, I'm now uh, through undivided. I've learned not to be confrontational about this uh, because that doesn't, uh, that doesn't really change hearts and minds. What you really need to do is you need to be more, um, I guess, questioning or you know, inspective and try and actually, you know get to engage with the people that you may not agree with. And by engaging, you actually ask questions, you know? So, you know, is that, is that how you feel? Really help educate me on why do you feel that way? And you may actually get to learn and understand why they feel that way, um, but you will also create a relationship. And that relationship as it builds, you know, again, you're human, humanized, they're humanized, and you all start to actually listen to each other and not demonize each other because I think that's that's kind of where we are in our country. There's just groups now that have demonized the other group. Um, and most people really want to feel safe. And that's what we, you know, kind of people who look like me in this country, they we want to feel safe. Um, but to some people, what we're doing to achieve that, they seem it seems to threaten their safety. And so they're lashing out. 
And that I think is, you know, one of the things we really have to adjust um, or, or actually um, be able to um, address, you know, um, those, those, those true fears, uh, because we're seeing a violent uh, lashing out against these social justice initiatives that we're trying to pass um, because the, the, the dominant caste in this country feels that it get threatens their status quo. And so um, we really need to actually uh, understand that and be able to address that as well in, in order for us to get those allies. Alvin, I am so jazzed about this conversation right now because all the things that you're talking about, again, Jennifer and I are talking about. And I've and I felt like as an observer, you know, I was a former journalist and I wrote a lot about social justice and policing and government and all that. Um, what I have seen in the past four years, I would say for sure, but definitely most of my life is something that I equate to like the, the frogs that are boiling in the pot when they don't know they're dying, but they're dying. And so they're adjusting up their temperature because they're cold blooded animals. They are able to, but then they're, they're gone. I feel like this, we've, we've sort of been in a slow simmer in America for so long. It seems like we're making progress. You see a lot of people like you, Alvin, like me, like Jennifer, we have great educations, you know, we're moving, moving through society with middle class and upper, upper class values. And when I say that, that's, that's not necessarily cash or money, but that is, that is a mentality, a mindset. And you look at your neighbor next door and you go, okay, I'm here right now because we're all sort of living this with this middle class mindset. And then I look at, what happened on, on January 6th um, with the insurrection. And I think that's my neighbor, but how can you be doing that to our country, to me? Um, and, and it gets me to wondering, have we, what is it that makes that happen when in the past 30 years seems like everything has been so much better for so many different kinds of people? I'm talking about women. I'm talking about people of color. Uh, I'm talking about people who are who are moving up to, you know, to to different to different things, you know, the the American upward mobility that seemed to be working. Mm -hmm. So in in your learnings, how have you explored some of those issues? You know, you know, it's it's really hard for me to even. Um, explain that because I'm not totally sure because I, I, I question that all the time too. I feel like a lot of these people are very educated. I feel like they should know their history and they should um, kind of understand when somebody's pulling the wool over their eyes, right? Um, yes. They should be able to recognize a con man when they see it, see him, right? Yes. Um, but I feel like they were completely ready to hear what he was saying and create the reality that they wanted, whether or not it was factual, you know, based off of truth. And that was just completely evident. It, I mean, it, I mean, the whole alternative facts, the whole, like the fact that, you know, 
you want to discredit um, our our media, you know. Uh, Correct. To make sure that, like, you know, whatever you know, where you're seeing, you you question it, and it's not real. Um, and so, you know, I feel like you don't necessarily you're not able to do that with you don't have you know an audience that is really willing to pay for that. And you know, the audience was there. So, you know, even though you didn't see the fire, the fuel was already there. And so mm. we just had somebody who was able to ignite that fuel. And, it, you know, so, the, you know, this is something that, that's been in our system and just waiting for somebody to come and set it ablaze. Now, you know, I think a lot of people like me, uh, for example, you know, grew up believing in this meritocracy of a system, uh, which is not truly a system of meritocracy. You know, that's how I got to where I am, honestly, working hard. Um, but when, you know, I started delving into our history and kind of seeing where we are, you know, I question, you know, why don't I see as many people who look like me in this role? And it is not based off of just meritocracy. I mean, this system has conspired against people who look like me to make sure that I don't get to where I am, you know, so that that's why I am a unicorn right now in this country. You don't, you don't see, you don't see people like me every day. Um, and so that is why we see the majority of people who look like us um, are being portrayed in, in, in the, in the negative light. You know, mm -hmm. we, you know, we're not portraying the, the Alvin, Dr. Alvin Joneses or the Byron Macaulay's. Um, what they want to portray is, you know, um, the criminals, you know, they want to portray people who aren't doing anything. Um, and so it, it just self-perpetuates or it continues this cycle in our country where our psyche, uh, the American psyche, is gr grows up to believe that we are in this Position because we we made our own bed and we're sleeping in it, um, but but that's not how we got here. There, you know, there's so much history to it where we've been relegated to this out outskirts of society, and whenever we try to step up and assert ourselves, that's when somebody puts their knee on our neck and chokes the life out of us until we submit. Well, the system is rigged, and I think we all know that we the three of us and it's it's because historically the decision makers have made sure those who have a seat at the table and a role and a title look like they do because they know that they'll look out for one another i'm i'm nervous but hopeful that i was hopeful when barack obama was elected president but that didn't go as far as we needed it to, but I'm hopeful that step by step, I mean, we took some steps back afterwards, frankly, with our last president, a lot of steps back, but I'm hopeful that, I'm hopeful that we are taking steps forward right now. Finally, when I look at the boldness of our current administration and the kinds of people uh, Harris and Biden have surrounded themselves with. I know it's not the answer, but I think it sends a pretty strong message. I think it does too, Jennifer. You know, just today, um, before we went on the air here, there was um, 
there was a radio, I think it was National Public Radio, but but some of the leaders, the world leaders were saying, thank you, Joe Biden, for, for bringing the United States back into uh, some of the climate accords, um, you know, participating as a, um, a an international player again, which we haven't been able to do that lately. You know, we're not just talking about, so we have tons of problems that we need to be addressing here. I mean, we just came off of the, that horrible, um, the trial of that horrible incident that happened uh, last spring that triggered both of our awakenings, triggered our writing this, frankly, Jennifer, the George Floyd, George Floyd, but, but triggered also Alvin being more introspective and trying to discover what can he do? You know, what he, you, you were very profound earlier when you said what has been, you know, what, what has ever been accomplished by doing nothing? That's, I'm going to remember that. I wrote that down, by the way. Thank you for that. But, <laughs> it's um, a quote from somebody. Know. Don't quote me. It was somebody else okay. who actually said that. I can't even tell you who it is, but I'm sure yeah. you can Google it and find out who said that. <laughs> I will do it. Um, I will do it. But I love the climate analogy you made because, or the climate um, point you make because there's a, a very point uh, analogy for climate. So when we talk, look up at race in this country, um, somebody was t told me, and I think it was Chuck Mingo, he was quoting another pastor who told him, you know, that there's a difference between climate and weather. And so, you know, even though the climate may, if we talk about global warming, things getting hotter, we can still have days of snow. So when, when it comes to these racial relations in this country, we can have those days of snow, but the climate is moving in a direction towards racial justice and racial reconciliation. So don't, don't get too discouraged when we have these setbacks and these storms. Um, Cause overall, I think it was even as Martin Luther King said, um, the universe arcs towards justice. And That's right. you know, we, we're gonna continue to move um, towards our racial reconciliation and justice in this, in this country. You know, I think that is, that, that is, that is so such a perfect way to, as we uh, try to wrap up our conversation, it's always so quick. Uh, you'll learn Dr. Jones and we really want to have you back um, as we, as we continue to move through, because what we would, what, one of the things that we, we haven't talked about is, is your specialty and on how you um, um, have been called to, to help um, some children in the far East. Um, and, you know, we're talking about, Hope, Jennifer, you mentioned earlier, you know, we, we're that is something to give people when you have the talent to be able to help people um, have a chance at a normal life again. That's the that's the healing that Alvin, Dr. Alvin Jones of, of, of northern Cincinnati and working in Dayton gives people every day. Can you talk a little bit about that before we before we go off and then Jennifer's going to going to send us off? But I just got to hear about that. Sure. So, yes, you know, I, I have um, had the opportunity and the privilege really to um, provide my talents and, and, and my surgical skills uh, to some children in, in Laos, um, which is, you know, bordering Vietnam and Thailand and Burma or, or um, Myanmar, um, that Southeast yeah, Myanmar now, mm -hmm. I guess it's called Myanmar now. Um, and so, yes, you know, there's not a very established orthopedic or pediatric orthopedic 
um, infrastructure there. And, um, you know, so I went there and I found a lot of uh, surgical um, cases with regard to spine deformity and, um, you know, some of them very advanced. And I was able to uh, perform a few surgeries. I did two children and I was able to participate in a, an adult. Uh, there's another surgeon that I've um, partnered with who's been going there for 13 years. And now I'm, I'm trying to assist him in this and hopefully go annually. But he's been going over there mainly for adults. And uh, he, he brought me over to help some with some of these pediatric cases that he doesn't specialize in, but I do. And so we were able to, to really help some kids. But there's and so I do intend on continuing on uh, with that uh, year after year. Great. So, yeah, with that, I'll first, doctor, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you, your credentials are amazing. The work you do in communities around the world. And I think Byron and I, because we're optimists, are hoping there are more people out there. Certainly not as doing quite as much as you, but but in their own little way doing something. Um, we hope we called it all hope interrupted because we think it's just interrupted. It's not hopeful stop, and it's it's we're get we can get to a better place. So with that, I'm going to talk about our hopeful moment for this week. Every week we end with one. This is a pretty heavy show. It's been a really heavy and nerve-wracking week. But the George Floyd verdict happened. And those of us who are in this space are thrilled for what that means and what that says. We also know he is just one man. And there's a lot happening out there to people who will never get justice. And that's the sad part. This is just one indication that a jury saw fit because a young woman taped what was happening. From my point of view, I'm hoping that police may change their attitudes a little bit. I know that may be too much to ask for. We've got on next week, Charmaine McGuffey, the first gay female sheriff of Hamilton County, and I'm sure she has a lot to say about this and about she's lifelong law enforcement. But I feel hopeful, and what happened in Minneapolis to me was a good sign. And I'm going to close with what I always do and say to our audience to keep hope alive. Amen. Keep hope alive. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Dr. Alvin Jones. For Jennifer Mooney, we're going to sign off and we're going to let Starscream the Giant at Starscream the Music take us out. We'll see you next week. <laughs>